We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 451 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Monday, November 28, 2022. And if the NFL playoffs started today or tonight or tomorrow or the next day or the day after that, you get the idea. All four of the teams in the NFC East would be in the postseason, including, yes, the Commanders. Uh, They, as we speak, are in possession of the NFC's third and final wildcard spot. A 19-13 Commanders win over the Atlanta Falcons at a rainy FedEx field on Sunday afternoon. Then, the Seattle Seahawks' 40-34 overtime home loss to the Las Vegas Raiders on Sunday in a game in which Raiders running back Josh Jacobs went nuclear. He had a single-game franchise record, 229 rushing yards, and a single-game franchise record, 303 all-purpose yards, and included in all of that was a walk-off 86-yard touchdown run in overtime, his second rushing touchdown of the game. What a performance. But anyway, the Commanders now are 7-5 and five, and now are a half game ahead of the Seahawks, who are 6-5, and five, and the Commanders are just a half game behind the New York Giants for the NFC's second wildcard spot, and the Commanders are just a game and a half behind the Dallas Cowboys' For the NFC's top wildcard spot, the Commanders have concluded a 3-1 November to remember, and now comes a December that is guaranteed to be filled with ultra-meaningful football for our team, which will be at the Giants this Sunday afternoon at 1 in the biggest Washington Giants game in years. Hello and welcome to this 
Commander's post-game show, Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, the only Washington, D.C. sports podcast or show for which there is a new episode every weekday, Monday through Friday, with each episode out oh so early each weekday morning. Uh, the Commanders, since their four-game losing streak, are 6-1. and one. I mean, let that sink in for a moment. 6-1 and one over the team's last seven games. Raise your hand, left hand up, <laughs> if you expected that when the team was one and four. And we now are in really rarefied air with our team of this win over the Falcons. The commanders with this win have notched their best record 12 games into a regular season since being seven and five in the 2008 regular season. The commanders with this win notched their second three-game winning streak of the 2022 regular season, making it Washington's first regular season with two different three-game winning streaks since 2005. Uh, Tremendous game. So much to get into with this game. From the great work of running back Brian Robinson Jr. and the commander's rushing offense, to the good and the not-so-good from quarterback Taylor Heineke and the commander's passing offense, to the massive interception that was generated by the commander's defense deep in the fourth quarter on a second and goal at the four. Interior defensive lineman Deron Payne with the pass deflection. Corner Kendall Fuller with the end zone interception on what was a mixed day for the commander's defense. But nothing was bigger than that play. The defense delivered when you needed the defense to deliver the most. Coming up on the show, in-depth reaction to and analysis of all of the aforementioned items and more, including, yes, the memorial installation, a.k.a. the wire mannequin of legendary Redskin safety Sean Taylor, that the Commanders unveiled at FedEx Field on Sunday. The Sean Taylor installation that I know most of you wish would be deinstalled. Uh, I will spend some time on that later in the show. But man, this is something. This really is great to see. And I tweeted this after the game. You know, so many Washington teams in recent seasons would have lost at least one of these last two games off that big win at the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday Night Football in Week 10. Instead, the Commanders won both of those games. The win at the Houston Texans in Week 11, and now this win over the Atlanta Falcons at FedEx Field in Week 12. And this, to me, is one of those signs that the football culture is on the rise. That the thing that so many other Washington teams would have done And again, that is lose at least one of these last two games off such a big win at the Eagles. That thing has not happened here. This commander's team has continued to pile up victories. I think that says so many good things about what head coach Ron Rivera is building. Also on the show, the Wizards. uh, They now have lost three consecutive games, a 130-121 loss at the NBA leading Boston Celtics on Sunday evening. I'll talk college football off most FBS teams' regular seasons ending over the weekend. Maryland concluding its regular season with a very nice 37-0 home route of Rutgers. And James Madison concluding its first FBS season with a very nice 47-7 home blowout of Coastal Carolina. And also Liberty concluding its regular season with a stunning 
49-14 home loss to New Mexico State. Uh, I have a capital segment for you off an ugly loss for the Caps on Saturday night, 5-1 at the New Jersey Devils in game one of a season-long six-game road trip. And I'll discuss Georgetown basketball off a 79-70 win over UMBC at Capital One Arena on Saturday afternoon in a game that early on uh, was looking like it may well be another embarrassing home loss for the Hoyas, but thankfully the game was not that. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. The commanders are rolling. Lots of feedback on the commanders off the win over the Falcons. Tweet from Gary, something funky going on with the team. I'm grateful for it. Hail tweet from the values voter. I think the commanders have made a transition from having the mentality of a losing team to having the mentality of a winning team. This is the kind of game that the team would lose and the kind of game that we would all expect the team to lose, but now the team expects to win and it shows. Tweet from Dakota. Next person who complains about Rivera or JDR, I'm going to stick that person right in his or her face. Hashtag left hand up. Hashtag who are we, the commanders. Uh, Tweet from El Patron. My son said, Heineke is that one kid (laughs) who does no work on the group project but gets an A. Uh, I hear you, El Patron. I mean, that's a little harsh for the way our guy Tay-Tay played on Sunday afternoon, but I hear you. That was was not his best game. Uh, Tweet from Timothy regarding the Kendall Fuller interception. That INT was for Sean. Tweet from RedskinJ29. I got $100 in my pocket for the next Duran Payne contract. Uh, yeah, man. Let's start taking up a collection to pay Duran Payne. To pay Payne. What a season he's having. And how appropriate is it that the first three letters of Duran Payne's last name are, in fact, P-A-Y. Well, like Deron Payne continuing to come through for the commander's defense, the great Dr. George Verghese will come through for you regarding any dermatological needs that you may have. Uh, Dr. George Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists, and he and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland provide excellent skin care, whatever your dermatological needs may be. Call 301 396-3401 and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Dr. George Verghese is a big Commanders fan. He is a loyal listener of this podcast and operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland focus on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care if you are dealing with allergic reactions, if you are dealing with acne, psoriasis, or eczema, if you're interested in procedures like Botox, laser hair removal, or chemical peels, if you're dealing with skin cancer or have dealt with skin cancer or want to get screened for skin cancer, contact Dr. George Burgese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Heck, Dr. Burgese and the Institute offer free skin cancer screenings in addition to offering advanced treatments for many skin cancers, including treatments that many other practices do not offer like SRT, which is superficial radiation therapy. To find out more, call 301 396 
3401. That's 301 396 3401. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. But call 301 396 3401. You can also visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. For excellent and comprehensive skincare, contact Dr. George Verghese in the Mid Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Well, while everyone's in a good mood, uh, please consider rating and reviewing the Al Galdi podcast. If you haven't yet done those things, you on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated, and you on Apple Podcasts can write a brief review saying that you like the podcast. The review can be just a sentence or two. Uh, the ratings and the reviews help us out a lot. And uh, I thank you for doing them. Well, if you are a longtime fan of the NFL team that we now call the Commanders, you perhaps while watching the 1913 win over the Atlanta Falcons at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon, thought of the most famous Washington win over the Falcons, the seat cushion game, January 4th, 1992, divisional round of the NFC playoffs, a 24-7 Redskins win over the Atlanta Falcons at RFK Stadium on a rainy and sloppy day in Washington, D.C. The Skins in that game ran the ball down the Falcons' throats. Uh, Running backs Ricky Irvins, Ernest Biner, and Gerald Riggs combined for 41 carries for 168 yards and three touchdowns. And while the stakes in Commander's Falcons on Sunday afternoon weren't quite what the stakes were in Redskins Falcons more than 30 years ago, we on Sunday afternoon at FedEx Field had a rainy, sloppy day, and we ended up having a big day for the Commander's rushing offense. Uh, The Falcons for the 2022 regular season through Week 11 were just 24th in the NFL, in run defense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric. And the Falcons last Monday, November 21st, placed a key defensive player, interior defensive lineman Taquan Graham, on the reserve injured list. Uh, This Falcons run defense is not good. It was begging to be feasted on, and feast the commander's rushing offense did on Sunday afternoon. Uh, The commanders on Sunday afternoon appropriately took advantage of this Falcons run defense. Running backs Brian Robinson Jr., Antonio Gibson, and Jonathan Williams, and receivers Curtis Samuel and Terry McLaurin combined for 36 carries for 177 yards. Uh, That works out to 4.92 yards per carry. And you gotta start with Brian Robinson Jr., and you cannot say enough good things about how good Brian Robinson Jr. was on Sunday afternoon. Uh, You know, it's easy to forget that this guy got shot multiple times just three months ago. Uh, This installment of the Al Galdi podcast is for Monday, November 28th. It was only on August 28th that Robinson was shot in a leg and hip in an incident in Washington, D.C. It has taken a bit for Robinson to truly get going this season, but uh, consider him now going. Uh, Robinson on Sunday afternoon had 18 carries for 105 yards and had two receptions for 20 yards and a touchdown on three targets. Uh, I cannot wait to see the yardage after contact and broken tackle stats for Brian Robinson Jr. in this game because he was outstanding 
in those regards. Uh, Robinson was tremendous on his touchdown catch. Commander's first offensive drive, a seven-play, 74-yard drive, resulted in quarterback Taylor Heineke's first quarter, first and 10, 14-yard shotgun touchdown pass to Bride Robinson Jr., who ran over Falcons corner Darren Hall and then plowed through Falcons linebacker Michael Walker en route to the end zone. I mean, Robinson took away the manhoods of Hall and Walker on that play. And also on that drive, second snap of the drive, Robinson, a first and 10, five-yard shotgun handoff run. Uh, Robinson was a monster on the Commander's sixth offensive drive. This was an 11-play, 60-yard drive that consumed six minutes, 13 seconds off the clock, resulted in Taylor Heineke's third quarter, first and 10, 16-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to tight end John Bates. Uh, Brian Robinson Jr. on the drive, six carries for 29 yards. Uh, first snap of the drive, Robinson, a first and 10, five-yard under center handoff run. Second snap of the drive, Robinson, a second and five, six-yard under center handoff run. Third snap of the drive, Robinson, a first and 10, seven-yard shotgun handoff run in which he spun forward for yardage after contact. Sixth snap of the drive on a fourth and one for the commanders at the Falcons 40, Robinson, a three-yard pistol handoff run. Eighth snap of the drive, Robinson, a second and five, six-yard under center handoff run. Uh, the commander's seventh offensive drive resulted in kicker Joey Sly's fourth quarter 45-yard field goal for a 19-13 commander's lead. First snap of the drive and the next to last snap of the third quarter, Bride Robinson Jr., a first and 10, 12-yard shotgun handoff run. Fifth snap of the drive, Robinson, a first and 10, 11-yard under center handoff run in which he provided great second and Third efforts to generate yardage after contact. Uh, Robinson did have a drop on this drive. Uh, eighth snap, he had a drop on a first and 10 under center play action and completion from Taylor Heineke. Okay, fine. Uh, Robinson's longest run of the game came on the opening drive of the second half. A commander's fifth offensive drive was the opening drive of the second half, resulted in a third quarter punt. First snap of the drive, Bride Robinson Jr., a first and 10, six-yard I-formation handoff run. And then on the third snap of the drive, on a third and one for the commanders at their 34, Robinson, a 21-yard under center toss run on which tight end John Bates and receivers Curtis Samuel and Deami Brown all had good blocks. Uh, commanders, Third offensive drive resulted in Joey Sly's late second quarter 30-yard field goal to tie the game at 10. Second snap of the drive, Bride Robinson Jr., a second and six, six-yard shotgun handoff run. On and on, I could go on the work of Bride Robinson Jr. in the win over the Falcons. And so it was uh, Robinson who, after the game in the commander's victorious locker room, got a game ball from head coach Rod Rivera. Take a listen. I got a ball here, and only them will give the ball to him because it's his first hundred-yard game. Yeah. Hey, y'all! Honestly, I've been wanting to say this in front of the team, but like. You know, since everything happened back in August, man, I promise you, like, everybody in this room have, like, shown me unconditional love and support, man. Yeah. Like, yes, just sir. to help me get to this point, for real, man, I couldn't be more thankful for everybody in this room, man. Y'all the people I turned to the most after going through what I went through, man, just, you know, to have this opportunity to do what I did today, man, I uh, give all y'all the credit, man. Thank y'all. Oh, yeah. Team ball three. One, two, three. Team.
There you go. But it wasn't just Brian Robinson Jr. who ran well on Sunday afternoon. Jonathan Williams. How about the rarely used Jonathan Williams in this win over the Falcons? Uh, Williams finished with four carries for 22 yards. Uh, He had back-to-back good runs on the drive that resulted in Taylor Heineke's third-quarter 16-yard touchdown pass to John Bates. The ninth snap of the drive, Williams, a first-and-ten, nine-yard shotgun handoff run. Tenth snap of the drive and the snap right before the touchdown, Williams had a second-and-one, one-yard shotgun handoff run. And Williams had back-to-back good runs on the drive that resulted in Joey Sly's fourth-quarter 45-yard field goal for a 19-13 commander's lead. Sixth snap of the drive, Williams, a first-and-ten, nine-yard shotgun handoff run. Seventh snap of the drive, Williams, a second-and-one, three-yard under center handoff run. Antonio Gibson on Sunday afternoon, nine carries for 32 yards, and he had three receptions for 22 yards on three targets. Uh, Gibson had two nice runs and a nice reception on the drive that resulted in Joey Sly's late second quarter 30-yard field goal to tie the game at 10. Third snap of the drive, Gibson had a first and 10, 70-yard under center handoff run on a sweep. Fourth snap of the drive, Gibson had a second and three, five-yard under center handoff run. Tenth snap of the drive on a third and three for the Commanders at the Falcons 28. Taylor Heineke had a 14-yard shotgun completion to Gibson. And another play from Gibson that was key came on the drive that resulted in Joey Sly's fourth quarter 45-yard field goal for a 19-13 Commanders lead. The 11th snap of the drive and the snap right before the field goal on a third and 18 for the Commanders At the Falcons 37, Antonio Gibson had a 10-yard shotgun handoff run. He on that run picked up major yardage in order to make that field goal attempt a very makeable 45 yards. Uh, This was Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday afternoon on the performance of Brian Robinson Jr. and the commander's running backs overall. I thought his performance was outstanding. I thought the whole running back group as a whole. You know, we, we, with what we were getting from Antonio as a change of pace, and then Antonio also catching the ball in and, 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 and space. You know, unfortunately, he slipped on that one. He, boy, that could have been a, a real big play for us. Um, and then Jonathan Williams getting getting back into some of the action. That combination of guys has really given us, you know, a, a little bit of spark as far as being able to run the ball. And kudos to the offensive line. I mean, it, you know, they were giving us a lot of five-man looks up front as well. And, and yet we were still able to move the ball. So, so there's some really good things that, that did happen on the offensive side. Yeah, really good stuff from the commander's rushing offense in the win over the Falcons. Uh, as for the commander's passing offense. Uh, yeah, so the commander's passing offense in this 1913 win over the Atlanta Falcons at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Taylor Heineke, uh, he was the commander's starting quarterback for a sixth consecutive game, and he had a so-so game. Now, he did also have a winning game, okay? Taylor, with this game, improved his regular season record as a Washington quarterback to 12 and nine. Uh, That record, by the standards of this franchise over the last 30 years, is very good. But of course, you can't judge a quarterback solely on wins and losses. And you certainly can make the case that this win over the Falcons is the latest example of the Taylor Heineke magic, the Taylor Heineke Kavorka. Uh, Now, Taylor on Sunday afternoon did do some good things. Uh, There were three overarching things that I liked in particular 
about Taylor's day. Number one, Taylor quarterback to commander's offense that went 5-12 on third downs. Okay, that's good. 5-12 on third downs. Another thing that I liked from Taylor was that he quarterbacked to commander's offense that went 2-3 in the red zone. Uh, that's good. You take that, 2-3 in the red zone. Taylor had two red zone touchdown passes. Taylor had a first quarter, first and 10, 14 yard shotgun touchdown pass to running back Brian Robinson Jr. And Taylor had a third quarter, first and 10, 16 yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to tight end John Bates. And then a third thing that I liked from Taylor Heineke on Sunday afternoon is that he, for a second consecutive game, did not take a single sack. Uh, Now, the Falcons this season have been horrendous at generating pressures and sacks, uh, but the commanders of having allowed so many sacks over the team's first 10 games in the 2022 regular season now have allowed no sacks over the last two games, and that's, of course, a credit to the offensive line, but that is also a credit to Taylor Heineke. However, uh, the overall production from the commander's passing game on Sunday afternoon just wasn't good enough. Now, it was a rainy day at FedEx Field, so you do have to consider the weather, but the Falcons for the 2022 regular season through week 11 were 28th in the NFL in pass defense for Football Outsiders DVOA metric. The commanders on Sunday afternoon were facing one of the worst pass defenses in the NFL, and yet Taylor Heineke completed just 14 of his 23 pass attempts. That works out to a completion percentage of just 60.87. And Taylor threw for just 138 yards over 23 pass attempts. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just six. Uh, Taylor had a really bad interception late in the second quarter. Commander's fourth offensive drive started at the Falcons 47 with 24 seconds left in the second quarter and the game tied at 10. The lone snap of the drive, Taylor Heineke, a first and 10 interception on a shotgun pass that was intended for receiver Jahan Dotson, question mark, Uh, but, but the pass went right to linebacker Michael Walker. Uh, Taylor threw the pass into the vicinity of three Falcons defenders, did not get nearly enough air under the ball, and presumably trying to throw it over Michael Walker. But also on the play, both receiver Curtis Samuel and running back Antonio Gibson were wide open. I mean, go back and watch the play. Curtis and Antonio are screaming open underneath. Taylor, instead of doing that which he has been told to do many times, take what is there, instead tries to take what is not there and gets picked off. Uh, Now, the ensuing Falcons offensive drive did result in kicker Youngway Kuz missed 58-yard field goal attempt on the final snap of the second quarter, but that's not the point. You know, the commanders were set to get the ball to begin the second half. They had the opportunity here to pull off the double whammy, and that is score super late in the first half, then get the ball back and score to begin the second half. And instead, Taylor on the first snap of the drive throws this interception. Uh, Taylor had a near pick on that second half opening drive. Uh, Third quarter, commander's fifth offensive drive, what was the opening drive of the second half, resulted in a third quarter punt. The seventh snap of the drive on a third and 15 for the commander's at the 50, Taylor Heineke, a shotgun incompletion on a pass that was intended for Terry McLaurin, but was nearly intercepted by corner A.J. Terrell. Uh, Terrell did not complete the process 
of the catch. Uh, Taylor in the second quarter had a big red zone miss. A commander's third offensive drive resulted in kicker Joey Sly's late second quarter 30-yard field goal to tie the game at 10. The 13th snap of the drive, the snap right before the field goal on a third and eight for the commanders at the Falcons 12. Taylor Heineke overthrew. It opened Terry McLaurin in the end zone on a shotgunning completion off scrambling away from pressure. And so because of Taylor Heineke's up and down game and because of the weather, the commander's many weapons had many underwhelming stat lines for this game. I mean, take a listen to this. So Terry McLaurin, four receptions, 48 yards on six targets, one carry for five yards. Okay, I mean, you're not overwhelmed by that, but that is a lot when you compare what he ended up doing with what, say, Curtis Samuel ended up doing. How about Curtis on Sunday afternoon? He was not targeted at all in the passing game. Zero targets for Curtis Samuel in this game. Uh, He had four carries for 13 yards. He also committed a crucial penalty, by the way. Uh, The commander's seventh offensive drive resulted in Joey Sly's fourth quarter 45-yard field goal for a 19-13 commander's lead. The 10th snap of the drive on a third and eight for the commander's at the Falcons 27, Curtis Samuel, a 10-yard pass interference penalty. Uh, also, Jahan Dotson, no receptions on one target as he continues to not do much since coming back from his hamstring injury. And tight end Logan Thomas, one reception for 70 yards on three targets. Uh, look, the Commanders won the game. That's what matters the most. But uh, nobody should be seduced into thinking that what we're getting from the team's passing offense right now is great or even good enough. Ron Rivera, during his postgame press conference on Sunday afternoon, was asked to sum up Taylor Heineke's afternoon. This was Ron's answer. Um, Taylor, I mean, it's 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 what we expect. Make some plays, you know, do a couple things that you know that you, uh, but then come around, come around and, and make that play that's gonna that's gonna ignite things. And 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 the, I think the the touchdown throw to John Bates was was terrific. I mean, he he went through his progression and got it to him, and and you know that that's that's what he does. He, you know, he, he's he's he is just uh, a scrappy player. Yeah, it's amazing how the result drives the narrative. You know, if the Commanders had lost this game to the Falcons, there almost certainly would have been a lot of talk this week about Ron Rivera potentially going back to Carson Wentz as the team's starting quarterback at some point. But do not expect much, if any, of that talk. Uh, Not this week, because while Taylor's numbers are not pretty, the Commanders are winning. And nothing matters more than that. You know, There is going to be plenty of time for the bigger picture conversation about the commanders at quarterback, okay? I don't think right now is the time for that conversation. Right now is all about the now, this season, and where the heck it's going for this commander's team, which is at 7-5 and and now in possession of the third wildcard spot in the NFC. And so for now, things are going well with our guy Tay-Tay. But yeah, I mean, you take a step back, the passing offense has a ways to go before you feel great about where that passing offense is at. Well, we always hope that you feel great about where you are at, uh, certainly with your health. A few things, of course, matter more than your health and the health of your family and friends. But if your health or the health of a family member or a friend uh, has been adversely impacted by the negligence of someone else, 
always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611, and when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what is best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Heck, this past July, Paulson and Nace won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly $1.8 million. Uh, this to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Uh, you may have read about this. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government and won. Uh, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment called 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. Don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. Well, the Commanders' 1913 win over the Atlanta Falcons at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon was the 100th win for Ron Rivera as an NFL head coach. If you count both regular season and postseason games, he is the 47th head coach in NFL history to reach the 100-win plateau in terms of regular season and postseason games. The biggest reason that the Commanders have won six of their last seven games is the team's defense. And while the defense on Sunday afternoon was not at the defense's best, the defense did come through yet again. First of all, keep in mind that this was a depleted commander's defense on Sunday afternoon. Corner Benjamin St. Juice was inactive due to a right ankle injury that he suffered in the win at the Houston Texans in Week 11. Linebacker Cole Holcomb now is on the reserve injured list. He was placed on that this past Friday due to a foot injury that had caused him to be inactive for each of the commander's previous four games. Interior defensive lineman Bedarian Mathis remains on the reserve injured list. He's been on that since September 12th due to a left knee injury that he suffered in the first quarter of the win over the Jacksonville Jaguars at FedEx Field in week one. And yeah, edge defender Chase Young still has not made his 2022 season debut. He, for this game against the Falcons, ended up being inactive due to his right knee and also illness. Uh, this was Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday afternoon on how close Chase Young came to playing in this game against the Falcons. Well, you know, he's, 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 he had a good week on a good day on Wednesday. And we were pretty excited about it. Um, you know, he, he, he wasn't feeling very well uh, last night, I guess. 
and then this morning um, you know he was he was still not feeling good and you know we just got it we wanted to get him on the field to see you know how he responded to the week because he had a big week and it's really about you know how he is on the field and, and that's what we wanted unfortunately we, we, we felt we should send him home there was a, the flu bug had gone through a few of our guys we had to send home a couple days and then um, and then he got it and we just couldn't take the chance of him being around and infecting anybody you know and again it's it's you know we'll see where he is on Wednesday you know and again he had like I said he had a good day Wednesday we were pretty excited you, you saw me on uh, on Friday I, I I really you know but we'll see yes we'll see uh that has become the mantra with Chase Young this season we'll see uh, the commanders last Monday activated Chase to the 53-man roster of having designated him to return to practice on November 2nd. But anyway, with the commander's defense on Sunday afternoon, look, the defense was not great, but the defense did enough to win. And actually, the defense ended up being better than I think you may think. Uh, The commander's Held the Falcons to just 13 points, okay? I mean, that's a basic thing, but that is the most important thing. You held the opposing team to a mere 13 points. Uh, The commander's defense generated just one takeaway, but it was a massive takeaway. And it capped a big two-play sequence for the defense. The Falcons' ninth offensive drive happened late in the fourth quarter with the Commanders nursing, clinging to a 19-13 lead, the 10th snap of the drive on a first and goal for the Falcons at the two. Edge defender James Smith-Williams had a missed tackle on quarterback Marcus Mariota in the backfield, but edge defender Montez Sweat then tackled Mariota on a pistol read option run for a two-yard loss. Mariota had killed the Commanders throughout the game on read option runs, but on that play, the Commanders finally got to Mariota on a read option run. And then on the next snap, the 11th snap of the drive, the play of the game. Second and goal for the Commanders at the four. Interior defensive lineman Deron Payne, a pass deflection, and corner Kendall Fuller, an end zone interception on a Marcus Mariota shotgun pass. Yet another impact play from Deron Payne. And for a second consecutive game, an interception by Kendall Fuller. What a clutch play by the commander's defense in that spot. You know, it's not always what you do, it's when you do what you do. And boy, did the commander's defense come through in a big spot on Sunday afternoon. You know, what we are seeing from Duran Payne this season really is special. Uh, Duran on Sunday afternoon, another good game, two tackles for loss in addition to the big pass defense. The Falcons' third offensive drive, 11 plays, 77 yards, consumed 6 minutes, 28 seconds off the clock, resulted in Marcus Mariota's second quarter, second and goal, four-yard under center play action boot touchdown pass to tight end Michael Pruitt. But the fifth snap of the drive on a first and 10 for the Falcons at the Commanders' 46, Deron Payne and Montez Sweat combined to tackle running back Tyler Algier for a one-yard loss on a pistol handoff run. The Falcons' eighth offensive drive happened off the Commanders having just taken a 19-13 lead in the fourth quarter. Uh, The drive resulted in a Falcons three and out. This was a great drive for the Commanders' defense. In the first snap of the drive, Deron Payne tackled running back Cordero Patterson for a two-yard loss on a first and 10 I-formation handoff run as Deron did an excellent job 
of splitting a double team. Uh, this was Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on Sunday afternoon on the football that Deron Payne is playing right now. I think Deron's playing very good football. I really do. I mean, we, 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 as a unit, you, you know, you see the things that they're all doing, the way they're all working together. It really has been great to see. You know, he and Jonathan are, are a heck of a tandem. And you know, one of the things I talked about, you know, I, I remember on my 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 first day, my first press conference with you guys, was about having that type of a tandem. And um, you know, guys like that are space eaters. Guys like that that, that that can impact the game. That's what you look for. That's what you want out there. Um, and he's done it. He's done a great job. He and um, he and Montez have really you know raise their game. Jonathan's playing at the kind of level that, that we, we believed he could. And um, as a unit, the, the, the defensive line has been solid. They've been very, very stout. Yeah, interior defensive lineman Jonathan Allen in the win over the Falcons had a quarterback hit and a run stuff. Uh, also for the commander's defense on Sunday afternoon, the commanders held the Falcons to just four of 10 on third downs. And the commanders overall did a good job Against the Falcons' passing offense, uh, the commanders held Marcus Mariota to just 15-25 passing. Uh, now, yes, some of that had to do with drops by the Falcons, but 15-25 passing works out to a completion percentage of just 60. Uh, the commanders held Mariota to just 174 yards over his 25 pass attempts. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 6.96. And if you take out just one play, uh, Mariota's fourth quarter 45-yard pistol play action completion to receiver and Virginia product Alameda Zacchaeus on a big catch and run. Mariota for the game had a yards per pass attempt of just 5.38. And, you know, I know people say, well, Marcus Mariota's really bad. Well, he's not really bad this season, okay? Mariota entering this game was 13th among 32 qualified quarterbacks in the NFL and ESPN's total QBR for the 2022 regular season at 57.4. So there actually was a good bit to like from the commander's defense on Sunday afternoon. But yeah, there also were some disappointing things about the commander's defense on Sunday afternoon, namely the run defense. The commander's run defense in this game was quite bad. And this is surprising, right? The commander's run defense this season has been so good. The commanders for the 2022 regular season through week 11 were number two in the NFL in run defense per DVOA, but the Falcons were number eight in the NFL in rushing offense per DVOA, and the Falcons' very good rushing offense bested the commanders' very good run defense. Uh, The commanders allowed running backs Cordero Patterson, Tyler Algier, and Caleb Huntley to combine for 23 carries for 118 yards. That works out to 5.13 yards per carry. But it wasn't just that. The commanders got worked by Marcus Mariota on read option runs. Uh, The commanders allowed Mariota to have six carries for 49 yards. He killed the commanders on read option runs. Uh, You also had the Commanders giving up an explosive passing play at a really bad time. Now, this did happen on the drive that resulted in Kendall Fuller's end zone interception deep in the fourth quarter, 
But the third snap of that drive was that big play to Alameda Zacchaeus. And this almost was a sack by Deron Payne. This was a wild play. First and 10 for the Falcons at their 30. Commanders clinging to a 19-13 lead. Deron Payne barely missed sacking Marcus Mariota, whose left knee went down, but he was not touched by Deron, and thus the play was not a sack, and the play ended up being that 45-yard completion to Alameda Zacchaeus on a big catch and run. You also had the commanders committing two costly defensive penalties of the drive that resulted in Marcus Mariota's second quarter four-yard touchdown pass to Michael Pruitt, 10th snap of the drive, third and three for the Falcons at the commander's 25 corner. Kristen Holmes, who we saw a lot of in this game, he committed a five-yard face mask penalty on a 15-yard pistol handoff run by Cordero Patterson. Falcons' ninth offensive drive. Again, this was the drive that resulted in that Kendall Fuller end zone interception deep in the fourth quarter, but the ninth snap of the drive on a third and one for the Falcons at the Commander's Five. Montez Sweat committed a three-yard offside penalty for a Falcons first down, but Montez Sweat in the game also did a lot of good. Uh, He finished with a sack, two quarterback hits, and two tackles for loss, and he drew a penalty. Uh, That drive that resulted in the Mariota touchdown pass to Pruitt, seventh snap of the drive, first and 10 for the Falcons at the Commander's 32. Montez Sweat drew a 15-yard face mask penalty by Michael Pruitt. And the Falcons' eighth offensive drive, uh, this was the drive that happened off the Commanders having just taken a 19-13 lead in the fourth quarter. The drive resulted in a Falcons three and out. The second snap of the drive on a second and 12 for the Falcons at their 23. Montez Sweat sacked Marcus Mariota for a nine-yard loss on what was as much of a covered sack as anything. The Commanders have completely turned their 2022 season around. Uh, It is remarkable what we are seeing from a four-game losing streak to now six wins in seven games. The top reason for that is this commander's defense. This commander's defense is keeping the team in every game and in many instances is winning games for the team. Up next, yes, I'll talk about it. (laughs) The Memorial Installation, a.k.a. The wire mannequin of legendary Redskin safety Sean Taylor that the commanders unveiled slash unleashed at FedEx Field on Sunday. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
Well, if you would like to make more money, and who the heck doesn't, consider advertising on the Al Galdi podcast. Uh, grow your business or practice by reaching thousands of people every episode at a very affordable price. Hit us up. The email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Interesting game for commander special teams in the 1913 win over the Atlanta Falcons at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. Punter Tressway, uh, he over three punts, averaged 42.3 yards per punt and 42.3 net yards per punt. He placed two of his three punts inside a 20-yard line, including a great third quarter 45-yard punt that was downed at the Falcons' five by safety Jeremy Reeves. But the most important thing that Tress did in the game was draw a five-yard running into the kicker penalty on a punt in the final minute of the fourth quarter with the commanders nursing a 19-13 lead. Uh, The Falcons were set to get the ball back, but that penalty clinched the win for the commanders as the penalty came on a fourth and two for them at their 28. And the next snap was the final snap of the game a kneel down by quarterback Taylor Heineke. So nice job, Tress. Uh, kicker Joey Sly, he on Sunday afternoon went 2-2 two two on field goals, but he also went just 1-2 on extra points. So Sly connected on a late second quarter 30-yard field goal to tie the game at 10. Uh, he also connected on a fourth quarter 45-yard field goal for a 19-13 commander's lead. But Sly missed the extra point attempt that followed Taylor Heineke's third quarter first and 10 16-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to tight end John Bates. And so the commanders came out of that touchdown with a 16-10 lead as opposed to a 17-10 lead. And boy, did that missed extra point attempt loom large as the Falcons were driving deep into the fourth quarter and sure looked like they were on the doorstep of scoring a touchdown until you had that uh, game-saving end zone interception by corner Kendall Fuller off the terrific pass deflection by interior defensive lineman Deron Payne. But up 19-13 is a lot different than being up 20-13 when the Falcons are driving deep in your territory late in the fourth quarter. So that missed extra point attempt loomed large, but thankfully Uh, That ended up not costing the Commanders the game. Uh, Also with Commander special teams on Sunday afternoon. So you had receiver Dax Milne inactive due to a foot injury. The Commander's primary punt returner was receiver Alex Erickson. Uh, The Commanders did not go with receiver Jahan Dodson on punt returns. Alex Erickson ended up being the guy. Uh, The Commanders on Saturday elevated Erickson from the practice squad to the active roster for this game. He registered two fair catches, but zero punt returns. So the commander's win over the Falcons at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon happened on November 27th, 2022, what was the 15th anniversary of the death of Redskins safety Sean Taylor, of him having been shot in an armed invasion of his home in Florida earlier in the month of November 2007. Uh, The commanders prior to the game against the Falcons unveiled what the team this past Tuesday had said would be, quote, a permanent Sean Taylor memorial installation at FedEx Field, end quote. Now, a lot of people had assumed that the installation would be a statue. As I noted on last Wednesday's show, episode 449, The team never said statue. The team only said installation 
whatever that meant. Uh, well, <laughs> we now know what that meant. Uh, the installation that a lot of people just assumed would be a statue ended up being this, like, wire mannequin in a Redskins uniform that included Sean's number 21 jersey. Yeah. Now, let me make something clear. Nothing matters more with this Sean Taylor memorial installation than how Sean's family feels about the installation. So if Sean Taylor's family is good with the installation, then I'm good with the installation. But if you're asking me what I think about the installation, if you're saying, hey, Goldie, what do you think about the Sean Taylor memorial installation? Uh, I think that it looks awful. Okay, the installation to me comes off very underwhelming. The installation to me comes off very cheap. Okay, I mean, the installation looks like something that was thrown together at the last second. I mean, you have months to come up with something. Who comes up with that? And then it is determined. Yeah, that's it. You nailed it. That's exactly what we need with this tribute to Sean Taylor, especially off our debacle of a tribute to Sean Taylor last year. I mean, the installation looks like a mannequin in a sports apparel store. This looks like something that you'd see in a footlocker or a Dick Sporting Goods or a sports authority. R.I.P. Sports Authority. Okay. Uh, now, the commanders on Sunday also unveiled a Sean Taylor mural that was created by Vic Garcia. Uh, Vic Garcia is an uncle of Sean's daughter, Jackie Taylor. Uh, the mural looked good. So good job on the mural, Vic Garcia. But the installation, to me, does not look good. Okay, that's my opinion. All right. But I do not think that the installation looks good. And so, you know, you think about this, right? The whole reason that the team did what it did on Sunday was to try to make up for the debacle that was the honoring of Sean Taylor last year. October 17th, 2021, the then Washington football team fell to 2-4 and four with a 31-13 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field. Uh, the game took place during Washington's annual alumni homecoming weekend and was the game at which Washington retired Sean Taylor's number 21 jersey. Uh, Washington, incredibly, did not announce that it was retiring Sean's number 21 at this game until Thursday morning, October 14th, 2021, a mere three days before the game. Uh, the ceremony at which the number 21 was retired was rushed and anticlimactic. Uh, the team staged a photo op for Sean Taylor's family outside of FedEx Field in front of a bunch of portable toilets. Uh, the team had family and acquaintances of Chiefs players standing in an area near the field that included a painted number 21 on the turf, resulting in Jackson Mahomes, the brother of Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes, doing a TikTok dance on the painted number 21. The entire day was a giant shameful, sloppy mess. You can't overstate the extent to which that day was butchered by the team. And so this Sean Taylor memorial installation and the other Sean Taylor tributes on Sunday 
were an attempt to make up for the butchering, the debacle that was October 17th, 2021. Like I said, if Sean Taylor's family is good with the Sean Taylor Memorial installation, then I'm good with it. But, you know, here's a wild and crazy idea, okay? You ready for this? How about we just let Sean Taylor rest in peace? Okay? How about that? Because when it comes to stuff like paying tribute to Sean Taylor, this team seemingly never gets this stuff right. When it comes to stuff like paying tribute to Sean Taylor, there is a sloppiness and an incompetence with the team that remain in effect despite all of the changes with the team. And the sloppiness and the incompetence, of course, reflect terribly on the co-owners and co-CEOs, Dan and Tanya Snyder. But the sloppiness and the incompetence also reflect terribly on the team president, Jason Wright. And I can only imagine what Jason has had to deal with behind the scenes since becoming team president in August 2020. And I'm sympathetic to that with which he has had to deal But you're being naive if you think that Jason should just be absolved of all blame with the sloppiness and the incompetence. Whether you're talking about these tributes to Sean Taylor or the mess that was that website commandlegacy.com or Crestgate or the low energy nature of the reveal of the name commanders on 2.2.22 or any of a number of other things, you tell me, are you blown away? by the work of the team's business operations in recent years. I do wonder if slash when the commanders get new ownership, if the house cleaning that we see will in fact more so be with business operations than with football operations. You know, I mean, as you look at things right now, it may not be that the football operations department needs a house cleaning, as wild as that may sound as compared to where we were just a few weeks ago. No, as you look at things right now, business operations may well be in need of a house cleaning. Paying tribute to Sean Taylor should be a layup. And instead, for a second consecutive year, the team blew the layup. Well, we move now to some non-commanders items. The Wizards, uh, they are in the midst of a stretch of five games in eight days, and the stretch is uh, not going so well. The Wizards now have lost three consecutive games. They fell to 10-10 and with a 130-121 loss at the NBA-leading Boston Celtics on Sunday evening. Uh, The game was not nearly as close as that final score would indicate. Uh, The Wizards never led after the first quarter. The Wizards in the third quarter trailed by 26 points, and the Wizards got blasted at the Celtics, despite the Celtics being without their best player. Uh, Jason Tatum did not play in the game due to a sprained left ankle. Now, the Wizards were without multiple key players. Uh, Kyle Kuzma did not play due to lower back pain. Rui Hachimura remained out due to right ankle soreness. Uh, DeLon Wright is still out 
Uh, he has been out with a grade two right hamstring strain that he suffered in a 120-99 win over the Detroit Pistons at Capital One Arena on October 25th. And also remaining out for the Wizards is Johnny Davis. Uh, he has been out due to right groin soreness, although Davis doesn't play regularly. So I don't even know how significant uh, that truly is. Now, back for the Wizards on Sunday evening was Monte Morris. Uh, he returned from a three-game absence caused by right ankle soreness, and he was good. Uh, Monte, in just 23 minutes, 41 seconds as a starter, went four or five on threes and two or three on twos and had 16 points, eight assists versus no turnovers and three rebounds. So it was nice to see that, but it was not nice to see the Wizards defense on Sunday evening. Uh, The Wizards defense in this game was atrocious. The Wizards allowed the Celtics to score 130 points, including 113 points over the first three quarters. Uh, the Wizards allowed the Celtics to go 16-34 on threes and 28-46 on twos. And the Celtics went a perfect 26-26 of 26 on free throws. Uh, the Wizards had all kinds of problems with Jalen Brown. He, in just 34 minutes, 13 seconds as a starter, scored 36 points. Uh, the Wizards went just 7-28 of 28 on threes. Uh, did go 29-42 in the paint. Did score 58 points in the paint. But when you go 7 of 28 on threes and the opposing team goes 16 of 34 on threes, hard to win. And uh, the Wizards did not win on Sunday evening. Uh, Bradley Beal offensively had a pretty good game. Now, he in 34 minutes, 47 seconds as a starter, did go 0-3 on threes and did have a game-worst plus-minus rating of minus 28. But he also went 11-16 on twos, 8-9 on free throws. He finished with 30 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists versus 2 turnovers and two steals. But yeah, Beal on Sunday evening was a part of a Wizards team that got run over defensively. Uh, Here's something else too to keep in mind. Daniel Gafford is being buried right now. Uh, Daniel Gafford on Sunday evening played for just six minutes, 22 seconds off the bench. I mean, this was a guy who was viewed as, you know, one of the real bright spots, one of the real building blocks for the Wizards not that long ago. And at least right now, He is in the doghouse of Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr. We are seeing less and less of Daniel Gafford game in and game out. That really needs to change. You know, it's a weird thing with bigs on the Wizards. Thomas Bryant was the hot thing a few years ago. Uh, Then he ended up being in Wes Jr.'s doghouse as last season went on. And now he's gone from the team. Uh, Now Daniel Gafford is in the doghouse of Wes Jr. We'll see if that ends up lasting for long. Uh, Next up for the Wizards, home to the Minnesota Timberwolves, Monday night at 7. Well, college football's week 13 was the final full week of the regular season. We had no game for Navy. Uh, It'll conclude its season with the big game against Army. Uh, That game will take place at Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia, but isn't happening until Saturday afternoon, December 10th at 3. We on Saturday had no Virginia Tech-Virginia game. Uh, That game, which was supposed to take place in Blacksburg, got canceled off the tragedy for the University of Virginia on November 13th. But we on Saturday did have the regular season finale for Maryland, and things went quite well for the Terrapins. Uh, they improved to 7-5 and overall and 4-5 and in the Big Ten 
with a 37-0 win over Rutgers at CQ Stadium in College Park, Maryland on Saturday afternoon. This was a significant regular season-ending win for the Terps. Uh, The Terps got to seven wins in a regular season for the first time since 2014, uh, which was Randy Edsel's last full season as Terps head coach. The Terps won four Big Ten games in a season for the first time since their first season in the conference, that 2014 season. Uh, The Terps registered their first shutout win in a conference game since a 26-0 home win over then number 21 Wake Forest in October 2008. And the win triggered a one-year contract extension for Terps head coach Mike Loxley, meaning that he's now under contract through the 2027 season. There still is a long way to go for Maryland football. I mean, the attendance for this game was really bad. Official attendance for the game was just 21,974. Smallest announced crowd for a Maryland football home game without pandemic restrictions since November 21st, 1998. And that game was a game against NC State in a season finale for a 3-8 and eight season for the Terps. Uh, but still, Maryland football under Mike Loxley is making progress. Uh, the next step, and it is a big step, is actually pulling off some wins over ranked Big Ten teams to truly get people excited about Maryland football. But this now is a second consecutive seven-win season for the Terps. Uh, here was Mike Loxley during his post-game press conference on Saturday afternoon on getting this automatic one-year contract extension. Obviously, it's great to have a chance to be around here. As I told anybody that'll listen, I'm, I'm here for the long haul. This is where I've always wanted to be. I'm appreciative of my boss, Damon and Colleen, that they've been able to do the things that keep me around. Um, you know, we'll, we'll continue to try to build this thing. I think anybody that's watched the trajectory of our program sees the improvement. Um, we're not there yet, because I like to keep saying we're a few players away, a couple plays away, and, and it's my job to go get those players and to create those plays so that we can take another step as we build a championship program. Yeah, now the Terps 37-0 win over Rutgers on Saturday afternoon. It was not a blowout from the get-go. Uh, the game actually was scoreless at the end of the first quarter, but the Terps then outscored Rutgers over the second and third quarters 30-0. Uh, Terps quarterback Talia Tungavailoa left the game due to aggravating his right knee, but came back into the game. He finished 25 37 for 342 yards, a touchdown and no interceptions, took three sacks. Uh, Talia became Maryland's all-time leader in career touchdown passes with 50, uh, surpassing a tie with Scott Milanovic at 49. Also, Talia extended his school record for career 300-yard passing games to 12. The number one question in the coming weeks for Maryland football is whether Talia Tungabailoa will return for the 2023 season. I hope like heck that he does, but who knows? Uh, Mike Loxley, during his postgame press conference on Saturday afternoon, was essentially lobbying for Talia to come back, talking about how he has things on which he can improve. Uh, By the way, Billy Edwards Jr. was injured, and so the Terps' backup quarterback on Saturday afternoon was Eric Nigerian. Uh, He went to DeMatha Catholic High School in Hyattsville, Maryland, but Eric Nigerian is probably best known for his relief work in another Terps game against Rutgers, a 27-24 overtime home loss to Rutgers on December 12, 2020. Nigerian in that game came in for a benched Lance Lejeune. Uh, Nigerian had never taken a snap at the college level, but he went 12-23 for 218 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. Did get sacked five times. It wasn't always pretty, but uh, Nigerian's two touchdown passes were fourth quarter touchdown passes.
Uh, another big storyline for the Terps in the coming weeks is whether receiver Jayshon Jones will be back for the 2023 season. Jones on Saturday afternoon had a big game. Nine receptions for 152 yards and a touchdown. You know, we entering the 2022 season had a lot of excitement for the Terps receiving core with Jayshon Jones and Rakim Jarrett and Dante Demas Jr. all back. But Jones and Demas were coming off season-ending leg injuries, and all three guys ended up having underwhelming 2022 seasons, even though Talia Tungavailoa had a good season. Uh, Jarrett does appear likely to be leaving for the NFL. Uh, Jones, maybe, possibly, hopefully, uh, will stay at Maryland. Uh, one guy who definitely is staying for the Terps is running back Roman Hemby. Uh, he's a redshirt freshman, went to the John Carroll School in Bel Air, Maryland. Uh, he and the shutout of Rutgers, 19 carries for 70 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, Roman Hemby this season, 164 carries for 924 yards and 10 touchdowns. He has averaged 5.63 yards per carry. Really nice season for Hemby. Uh, the Terps' defense on Saturday afternoon was dominant. Uh, now, Rutgers is horrendous offensively. Rutgers for the 2022 season through Week 12 was 114th out of 131 teams in the FBS in offensive efficiency per the SP Plus rankings of ESPN college football analyst Bill Conley. But the Terps on Saturday afternoon held Rutgers to no points, just seven first downs, just 135 total net yards of offense, just 2.76 yards per play, and just one of 13 on third downs. And so now we wait. Uh, it is this Sunday, December 4th, that we'll find out the Terps bowl game. That's also when we'll find out Liberty's bowl game. But whereas the Terps put a nice exclamation mark on their 2022 regular season with a blowout win at home on Saturday afternoon, Liberty concluded its 2022 regular season with a stunning blowout loss at home on Saturday afternoon. The Flames lost their third consecutive game, fell to 8-4 and four overall, a 49-14 loss to New Mexico State at Williams Stadium in Lynchburg, Virginia. Uh, Liberty for this game was a 24-point favorite for multiple shops and yet ended up losing by 35 points. Uh, the game was tied at 7 at the end of the first quarter. Liberty then allowed New Mexico State to score 42 consecutive points. Uh, we in this game saw Liberty play three quarterbacks. Uh, Charlie Brewer, who was supposed to be Liberty's starting quarterback this season, started at quarterback. He had been out since suffering a broken hand in Liberty's season opener. Uh, we then saw some of Caden Salter, and we then saw some of Jonathan Bennett. Here's the bottom line. Each of the three quarterbacks committed a turnover, and the three quarterbacks combined to throw for just 270 yards over 39 pass attempts. That works out to a yards per pass attempt of just 5.31. Uh, Liberty's defense was terrible. What you had to wonder with this game was whether all of this talk about Liberty head coach Hugh Freeze potentially leaving to become Auburn's head coach somehow played into this debacle of a performance by Liberty, uh, which, yes, has dealt with some injuries. Uh, the flame stud running back, Day-Day Hunter, suffered a season-ending torn LCL in the 21-19 win at Arkansas on November 5th. Uh, but still, that does not excuse Liberty, like, falling on its face, as the team did on Saturday afternoon. Well, Hugh Freeze, during his postgame press conference on Saturday afternoon, was not shy about talking about his situation. Uh, take a listen to the following exchanges. They were reported. There's a lot of reports out this morning linking you to another position. Did that factor into it? They sure didn't uh, help. Um, 
Um, I have a really unique relationship with, with my boss, Ian, and with our players. And um, um, they, they know that I'm very transparent and honest with them. And I've certainly told them if I ever got to the point where someone was pursuing uh, and me and I thought it was right for Jill and I and our, our family that that I would tell them and um, you know and I have not told them that and for that to come out and I haven't been offered a job but it certainly was hard to to refute um, that report and it it, it definitely uh, it was bothering some people and um, just just hate it. Was it addressed with the team pregame? I was asked directly, um, you know, by them, and so I did. And um, so it was, uh, you know, whether or not that had to do, uh, I think it had something to do with our flatness for sure. But um, I'm not one to to dodge uh, people that I care for and loves questions, and I'm not one to uh, to tell them something that's not true. And so I, I tried to tell them the truth, but I think the uh, it was just an odd, odd, odd feeling. What comment can you provide on that status right now, or is it something you're still working through? Uh, yeah, I just uh, I've I've told uh, I've communicated with Ian. Um, you know, if someone ever wanted to to talk to us that that interests us, I would always tell him. And um, you know, is the job that everyone's talking about one that that I would have an interest in to, of talking with sure um, does that mean that that doesn't mean they have not offered me a job and um, you know um, who knows where, where 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 that's headed but I've always said uh, I love being here on the mountain I'm happy here but I'm not gonna sit and and say to our kids or somebody, you know, that's just absolutely false. There's no interest in it. But the part that is false is there's 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 been no offer made to me, and nor um, have I accepted anything. And I think that's what our kids came in the locker room kind of feeling. So Liberty on October 28th announced a contract extension for Hugh Freeze through the 2030 season. The extension came off what Freeze called the biggest win in Liberty football history, uh, the 41-14 blowout of BYU at Williams Stadium in Lynchburg, Virginia on October 22nd. But as we know, with contracts for head coaches in college football, the contracts do not guarantee much in terms of the head coaches remaining with teams. A lot of people have felt like Hugh Freeze is as good as gone, myself included. We shall see. Remember, Hugh Freeze was Ole Miss's head coach for five seasons, 2012 through 2016. And the only reason that he left Ole Miss was scandal. Uh, He resigned in July 2017 off the school finding a pattern that included phone calls to a number associated with a female escort service. Uh, And Ole Miss was the subject of an NCAA investigation during Freeze's time as the Rebels head coach. Uh, So Liberty concluded its regular season with a shocking blowout loss at home on Saturday afternoon. But James Madison concluded its season with a shocking blowout win at home on Saturday afternoon. The Dukes, uh, they smashed Coastal Carolina 47-7 at Bridgeport Stadium in Harrisonburg, Virginia. JMU finishes its 2022 season 8-3 overall, including 6-2 
in the Sunbelt Conference. Uh, this is the Dukes' first season in the FBS, so they're not eligible for the Sunbelt Conference championship game or for a bowl game, but the Dukes ended up finishing first in the Sunbelt's East Division. JMU and Coastal Carolina each went 6-2 and two in the Sunbelt Conference, but the Dukes win the tiebreaker with the Chanticleers. And understand that this Coastal Carolina team was number 23 in the Associated Press Top 25 poll that came out the previous Sunday afternoon, November 20th. Uh, the Dukes in this game trailed at the end of the first quarter 7-3. They then won the rest of the game 44-0. Uh, not bad. Uh, JMU quarterback Todd Santeo, he completed just 17 of his 32 pass attempts, but he threw for 287 yards, four touchdowns, and no interceptions, took just one sack, and had a rushing touchdown. Santeo for the 2022 season is number 23 among all qualified quarterbacks in the FBS and ESPN's total QBR at 74.5. Uh, QBR is on a scale of 0 to 100. James Madison outgained Coastal Carolina 502 to 183. What a performance by JMU in its season finale. And what a season for JMU. And again, its first season in the FBS. And then rounding out FBS football in the Commonwealth of Virginia, uh, Old Dominion. It ended its 2022 season with a six consecutive loss, 27-20 at South Alabama on Saturday afternoon. Uh, the Monarchs on October 15th pulled off a huge 49-21 win at Coastal Carolina, but they never won another game this season. Did get hit hard by injuries, uh, finished 3-9 and overall and 2-6 and in the Sunbelt Conference. Well, the Capitals on Saturday night got off to a rather rough start on their season-long six-game road trip, a 5-1 loss at the New Jersey Devils. Uh, this was off two consecutive wins, a 3-2 overtime win over the Philadelphia Flyers at Capital One Arena on Wednesday night and a 3-0 win over the Calgary Flames at Capital One Arena on Friday afternoon. The Caps now are 9-11-3. They, in this 2022-2023 NHL regular season, still have not won three consecutive games and the Caps now are just 2-7-2 two, two on the road. Uh, as we have been saying, the Caps have been hit hard by injuries. So still out for the Caps due to injury are defenseman Dmitry Orloff and five key forwards, Nicholas Backstrom, Tom Wilson, Connor Brown, Carl Hagelin, and Beck Malenstein. Uh, Charlie Lindgren on Saturday night was the Caps starting goaltender for a sixth time in 23 games in this 2022-2023 NHL regular season. And uh, old Charles was not good. Uh, he stopped just 24 of the 29 shots on goal that he faced. You know, Lindgren isn't exactly killing it as a Caps number two goaltender this season. He, for the 2022-2023 regular season, now has a goals against average of 341 and a save percentage of just 894. Uh, the Caps on Saturday night went just two or three on the penalty kill. What was especially interesting, though, about this game was that the Caps got ripped by that final score of 5-1 Despite dominating the puck possession battle, uh, the Caps for natural statric had 60 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Devils' 33. The Caps totaled 38 shots on goal to the Devils' 29. And yet, the final score was Devils' 5, Caps' 1. Uh, hockey is a quirky sport, man. <laughs> you know, you can dominate puck possession and still get blown out. And uh, that does speak to goaltending. And the Devils' goaltender on Saturday night... Uh, was none other than former Caps goaltender Vitek Vanacek. And he was great. He stopped 37 of the 38 shots on goal 
that he faced. Where the heck was this on the regular when VTech was with the Caps? Uh, the Caps this past July 8th, what was day two of the 2022 NHL draft, traded VTech Vanacek and a 2022 second round pick to the Devils for a 2022 second round pick and a 2022 third round pick. But consider what went down with winger Alex Ovechkin on Saturday night. He went pointless, finished with a plus-minus rating, a minus two, and committed a first-period slashing penalty. All of those things were bad, obviously. But Ovi on Saturday night also had a game-high eight shots on goal, a game-high 17 total shot attempts, and a game-high tying three hits. The Caps on Saturday night generated offense, uh, they just didn't generate goals. Uh, the Caps did go one of four on the power play. A defenseman, John Carlson, had a third period power play goal. Next up for the Caps at the Vancouver Canucks, Tuesday night at 10. And let's hit on some college basketball before we call it a show. Georgetown improved to 4-3 overall with a 79-70 win over UMBC at Capital One Arena on Saturday afternoon. Uh, if you are a Hoyas fan, do not take any win for granted. Uh, certainly not off what happened this past Wednesday. The 74-70 loss to American at Capital One Arena in the Hoyas' first loss to AU since December 15th. 1982. Uh, now, Georgetown in this game against UMBC on Saturday afternoon did not get off to a good start. Uh, the Hoyas allowed UMBC to begin the game on a 7-0 run, trailed midway through the first half by eight points at 27-19. But the Hoyas then won the rest of the game 60-43. Uh, the Hoyas went a woeful 17 of 46 on twos, but also went 11-22 on threes. Uh, two players who really stood out for Georgetown were Jay Heath and Primo Spears. Uh, Jay Heath is an Arizona State transfer. He went to what was then known as Woodrow Wilson High School in Washington, D.C., and he earlier this month was declared eligible by the NCAA to compete during this 2022-2023 season. He has played for both Arizona State and Boston College, and he can score. Uh, Jay Heath on Saturday afternoon, 37 minutes as a starter, 5 of 6 on threes, 2 of 2 on free throws. He did go just 4 of 12 on twos, but he finished with 25 points, 4 rebounds, and 3 assists versus 1 turnover. And then Duquesne transfer Primo Spears, he on Saturday afternoon in 37 minutes as a starter went 3 of 4 on threes, did go just 5 of 12 on twos and 1 of 2 on free throws, but he finished with 20 points, 6 assists versus no turnovers, six rebounds, and two steals. Uh, Georgetown was without LSU transfer Brandon Murray for a second consecutive game due to injury. Uh, Hoyas head coach Patrick Ewing off that loss to American on Wednesday had some of his players over for Thanksgiving on Thursday. Hopefully Georgetown uh, is getting to be in a better place. Uh, next up for Georgetown at Texas Tech, Wednesday night at 8 uh, in a series of games between the Big East and Big 12 that is branded as the Big 12 Big East Battle. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 452. We'll have a lot more on the commanders off them winning for a sixth time in seven games and improving to seven and five with this 1913 win over the Atlanta Falcons at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon. We on Monday expect to have the day after the game press conference of head coach Rod Rivera. Also on Tuesday's show, I'll talk basketball in the Mid-Atlantic region versus the basketball of Minnesota. 
the Wizards. Uh, they are home to the Minnesota Timberwolves Monday night at 7. And Virginia Tech, the Hokies, are home to Minnesota Monday night at 7 in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. I got a ball here, and only then we'll give the ball to him because it's his first 100-yard game. You know, since everything happened back in August, man, I promise you, like, everybody in this room have, like, shown me unconditional love and support, man. Yeah. Like, yes, just sir. to help me get to this point for real, man, I couldn't be more thankful for everybody in this room, man. Y'all the people I turn to the most after going through what I went through, man, just, you know, to have this opportunity to do what I did today, man. I uh, give all y'all the credit, man. Thank y'all. Oh, yeah. Team ball three. One, two, three. Team. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.